Well, it's, uh, we've had an awesome day uh, Friday night and Saturday, and it's a privilege to have David and Greta Peters uh, with us. And uh, David is, is a prophet not only to this nation but the nations, and constantly they've been traveling around the world. They were in England for three to four months going back this year, and doors just opening uh, for their ministry and, and really who they are as people. So it is an honor and, a, and our privilege to have uh, these guys with us this morning. Uh, from Auckland, they're based with uh, Tuck Barner uh, up there in, in Auckland at Church Unlimited. And um, David's part of uh, the group of, of men that I'm part of. We get together every two months that you know about where we go. And, and uh, it's, it's just an incredible environment what God is doing. We were together just on Tuesday in Auckland and just discussing this whole area of the kingdom. And Jesus said, the kingdom, let the kingdom repent because the kingdom is at hand. And the church you and I are coming more and more and more into understanding that it's not just about being justified. It's not just about praying a prayer and then being saved, but it's about the kingdom of God being defined in us and through us to see that reality, his governmental reality come and establish itself on the earth from a spiritual dimension to see people come into hope and life and, and, and transformation to live lives that we read about in the Bible, and so let's let's stand and just honour these guys and welcome David as he comes and shares with us this morning. Thank you, thank you, Greg. Bless you. Thanks, Hezekiah. Bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. It's great to be with you, and a real thanks to Greg and Danny for the invitation. And uh, we're thrilled to be here, and love to hear what Melody shared. That was awesome, uh, fantastic, and. Um, so we, we got something on our hearts we want to share this morning with you. Greta's got something she's going to share for a few minutes, and I'll come and uh, share something as well. But I, I was just um, praying for you guys this morning, and, um, and I know something of the journey you're on. Um, I don't know the full details, but I know something of it, the transition and the change. And, uh, and I said, Lord, I'd just love a picture that would really help explain to the people something of what's happening among them, and I had a picture of a cruise ship and many passengers, and there, there was a lot of eating going on, a lot of relaxing, a lot of enjoying themselves, people looking forward to the next port of call so they could disembark and do some sightseeing. It was an incredibly happy scene, and it seemed so blessed. And then the picture changed to one of a military landing ship. These are big ships. They, um, they have capacity for a lot of helicopters on board. They have a landing craft, smaller landing craft within them, and uh, many, many soldiers. And of course, in wars in World War II, but also in modern times, these landing ships are what are used as part of invasion forces. And so they will sail, and then there may be a territory that that needs invading, and so those soldiers will get into the landing craft. They'll be ferried in to shore. Uh, advanced teams will go by helicopter. And on this vessel, there was an incredible sense of purpose. Um, there was a lot of preparation going on for invasion. There was alertness. There was readiness. And I think God is changing you into a landing ship. And I think, you know, honor, you need to honor and be thankful for your past. Um, but a lot of the Western church, at least, we've been in cruise ship mode. 
And I think God is turning up saying, well, you know, that's been for a season and I am a God that blesses and I pour my abundance on you and I'll continue to do that. But you need to know this is war. The kingdom is war. And uh, my church is going to be like that landing ship. And everybody on board knows their task. <clears throat> everybody on board knows there's, there's an invasion ahead. And uh, so we live for that purpose. We live for that, that, um, that priority of the kingdom. So honor and be thankful for your past. But know, and you, I think you're knowing this, your future is very, very different. But it's going to be better. And I think what Melody was sharing is a real microcosm, a little picture of what I'm talking about. What you're doing is a real picture of that. Not everyone's going to do what Melody's doing in terms of an organizational thing, but wherever God sends us, uh, you know, there will be that sense of we, we are called to invade in a nice way. All right? So, honey, over to you. It's, uh, it was, I think it was last year that I felt the Lord repeat to me a that his will for us that all of his people all of us God is wanting us to make inroads into enemy territory into new unknown territory and establish the kingdom of God so um, that is really really real what I briefly want to share is uh, there's a word of encouragement for some and in the middle of it uh, there's a word, a prophetic word that I feel the Lord is speaking across many churches and church movements uh, in, in, in many different places as well. There are some, now this word for some of you is to do with your un. You may say, what is she talking about? God wants to undo your un. Some of you feel uncertain. And Lord, the Lord wants to change that into certainty. Be aware there's a big difference between who God is and what God does. Who he is refers to his character, and that un is unchanging. God's character is unchanging, his love, his faithfulness, etc., etc. But what God does what he is doing is always fresh and new. So don't get them confused. And I feel that Isaiah 43, 19, this is what the Lord is saying. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. And, you know, as you trust in the un of his unchanging character, he is going to undo the un of your uncertainty because he is wanting a people who have absolute certainty. And I felt prompted to look that word up in the dictionary. And it says this, you definitely know, you are confident, and you are without doubt. You are without doubt. You know how Greg was saying that this morning, we're praying that you be a people of faith? Faith is the very opposite of doubt. He wants us to be a people of certainty without doubt. Now, this thing of this, this new thing, uh, God gave me this word in July, and it's just remained, and it just keeps getting stronger, and it is this thing about new wineskins. God is wanting to replace the old because they will not be able to contain this amazing new wine that he's wanting to pour into. 
And so he, what he is waiting, he is waiting patiently for his people all over the show to lay down old structures, the way we do things, etc. That, that we will just say, Lord, here we are. Come and transform us and create this new wineskin. And there are practicalities involved in that which haven't got time to, to unpack. Just two of the main things is this restoration of the full honor of the Holy Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, you are Lord of the church. You, because Jesus said, I will build my church and allow Holy Spirit to have his way. A second Ephesians 4, that um, God restoring to his church the, the full functioning of the fivefold ministry for the benefit of the body, and it's in God's order. And God's order isn't a thing of superiority or anything like that. It's, it's the logical necessity of function. It's, for example, if you get in the car, you have to do an order of things. You've got to first stick the key in, otherwise nothing's going to happen. Then you, you get the starter motor going. The motor goes. Then it's the steering wheel. Then it's the accelerator. Um, and then you will get to your destination. So the fivefold is just, and they all need to be, because functioning in the church as God has, um, you know, has ordained in, in the scripture. So that's a really major part of it. But really what I felt him say, he wants to do a new thing and it will look nothing like the old. So he's wanting to journey us, step into that, that unknown. And, we, you know, we can respond and, ooh, I'm a little bit uh, uncertain. You see, this uncertainty thing, in areas of your life, including church, nothing's like it used to be. And it, it can make us uncomfortable. It's okay. Um, going into something new always feels a bit uncomfortable. It's a shift but it is worth it, and God wants to encourage us. You see, he is looking for a forerunner remnant of people. Uh, as uh, we, We've just had the great privilege of listening to this man, James Maloney, and you know we, we know how, how Jesus in Matthew talks about separating sheep from goats, but God is, is separating sheep from sheep. There's the, the sleepy, comfortable sheep. Now, all the sheep will be will receive salvation, all right? It's not to do with that. But the sleepy, comfortable sheep who are happy with the status quo, God doesn't, he wants all of his sheep to be part of the remnant. Okay, that is his heart. All my sheep, he wants awakened, passionate lovers of Jesus and his presence. And and that is, is where he is um, wanting um, to take us. And I really feel that for Rock Church, God is wanting to, to create here. He's already in the process, well into the process, that, that Rock Church is a place of his presence and that you are a people of his presence. That's what, what I was just really sensing. And um, I just feel, if that's all right with you, Greg and Danielle, to that uh, just in the worship, just that, that short worship time that God wants us to declare a shift from the old to the new, to declare it over your church. Is that all right? Sweetheart, would you just come and join me? Can we just pray for a moment? Father, because this fits in with that, that ship as well. Father, we just praise and thank you for the old, and we bless you for the past. 
thank you that you're doing a new thing and you are wanting to create a brand new wine skin and pour in new wine. And we say, Lord, we invite you. We are certain of your unchanging character and we trust you. And in the name of Jesus, I release the shift over Rock Church from the old into the new. Come into the new, into the fullness of what God is calling you to be in the name of Jesus. Okay, amen. Right. And then what I'm going to finish off is just speaking a little bit about what God has been really laying in my heart, this thing about his presence. A little while ago, I had a vision rather unusual, and it was a stock exchange, you know, where they buy and sell stocks and these commodities. And I saw this huge number of, of um, you know, pe- people who were stockbrokers there sitting, and they were applauding for the one man standing. And I asked the Lord, what does this mean? And they were applauding because there was a new commodity that was free and beyond cost that had come available. It was the presence of God. And they were, they were, they were applauding and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ who was the person standing because he alone is worthy of all the honor and credit. And then Jesus said to me, I want my people to be brokers of my presence, freely given, freely received. And then a little while later, about a week later, the Lord started giving me more. um, He spoke to me more about the preciousness of his presence. Now, what we've been seeing in some of our meetings is that um, gemstones or jewels just appearing supernaturally. And when God does those things, there's always a reason. Those signs always speak of, of something. And so I just um, p- put that in there before I, I share what, what I felt the Lord say. This is what he said. And, and it followed on from that stock exchange vision. My presence is the highest commodity. It is the most precious thing. You need to know The presence of God is the most precious thing you can ever, ever have. And he said, when my people worship me and seek me in my presence, the gemstones I release are a sign of my presence to show how precious it is. Above all else, seek my presence as first priority. My kingdom is the place of my presence. And you see, the Lord is wanting his, the presence of his Holy Spirit to rest on all his people. He's increasing the anointing on the body of Christ, that anointing oil for ministry. He needs a vast army of believers who will rise up and carry his presence and release his presence because that's what's going to transform lives out there, just like at the skate park. You are carrying, you're releasing his presence into that bowl of darkness. You're releasing the light of his presence. That's what makes the difference. And um, God is wanting us all to be people of increasing influence like he's led Melody to be. 
And I just felt the Lord Jesus say, live in my presence, Psalm 91. Walk in my presence. In my presence is fullness of joy and fullness of everything else. My presence is all my people need. For when I am with them, they are invincible. They are my diamonds. And I thought, how does that, that sounds unusual and strange. Why is the Lord saying that? They are invincible. They are my diamonds. And I looked up the Greek word for diamonds. It's Adonis. And you know what it means? Invincible. Invincible. You are God's diamonds. And you know how recently, this, early on this year, we've celebrated the, uh, the Queen of, of um, in the UK, Britain, uh, her diamond jubilee. And I really feel this is King Jesus, Majesty King Jesus, diamond season for us to sparkle and shine. Zechariah 9 says, God's people will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Wherever God sends you, whether it's a skate park, whether it's wherever it might be in all walks of life, he's calling us to sparkle. And just one aspect that jewelers know about diamonds and, and rainbows, they actually flash a rainbow of colors. And as we know, the rainbow contains the full visible spectrum of light. What encircles God's throne? It's a rainbow. And the Bible also says that he wraps himself in light. And I have the sense that God wants to wrap us in the fullness of light, in that rainbow of light, that we may reflect the fullness of his beauty and light. And, you know, if we say, how do we do this? It's that it's getting back to that daily time of intimacy and time with him. Because here as we, as we seek him and soak in his presence, we are empowered to live that supernatural lifestyle. And it's here that he clothes us. We are clothed with Christ, clothed with that rainbow of his presence so that we will go out and shine like those sparkling, beautiful diamonds out there, releasing his presence. And remember that as you go out and do this, that in the face of opposition, and as Melody has found, don't be surprised. They expect opposition because there will always be to the, the advance of the kingdom of God but do not be intimidated because you have been given the power to overcome all the power of the enemy. That's the authority you have in Jesus Christ. Remember, you are invincible. God bless you. Great. Why don't we stand, have a wriggle, have a wiggle, take the pressure off. Greta talked about the uns. This is to minister to your butt. <laughs> and just sit down when you're ready. Hey, tonight I want to share, um, I believe it's the five o'clock message. I want to talk about spiritual awakening. I want to really um, enlighten us on what is happening in the world right now. Um, there is something going on across the nations that's never been happening before. 
uh, both on a uh, natural level and a spiritual level. I really want to unpack that a little tonight. We'll have more time for a whole significant Holy Spirit ministry as well. So I believe we're going to have a great time tonight. Uh, there's some resources we brought that are out in the foyer. Have a look at those on the way out. There's some great messages on CD and DVD that could really, really help you. There's a few copies left of my book, uh, Hope, Finding the Gateway to a Better Future. So um, have a look at those on the way out and, um, and, and you know, be blessed with some of those resources. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 32. I'm just going to have a look at some verses here this morning. Um, I want to talk to you about the pursuit of God's presence, just following on from what Greta said, just to give you a little bit of setting. Uh, in this incident that I'm about to read, the Israelites had come out of Egypt where they'd been slaves for many years. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had come to Mount Sinai. God had come down on the mountain in thunder, lightning, and fire, and cloud. And Moses had gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. The trouble is he's up there 40 days, which is nearly six weeks, which is a long time. And so down, down at the base of the mountain where... You know, you've got a couple of million people wondering what's happened to our exalted leader. Um, they're starting to panic a bit. And so here in Exodus 32 verse 1, it says, When Moses failed to come back down the mountain right away, the people went to Aaron. Look, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. This man, Moses, who brought us here from Egypt, has disappeared. We don't know what has happened to him. So Aaron said, well, tell your wives and sons and daughters take off their gold earrings and then bring them to me. That is not justification to wear gold earrings, by the way, boys, <laughs> if you want. Fair enough, but uh, there you go. It's a different day back then. All the people obeyed Aaron and brought him their gold earrings. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded and tooled it into the shape of a calf. The people exclaimed, O Israel! These are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw how excited the people were about it, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Lord, when you see Lord in, in total capitals, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, uh, that is really the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means that's the name of God, I am. Uh, it was too sacred for them to pronounce. So it's translated Lord rather than Yahweh in our Bibles. This is an interesting story to me because these guys are not just making some false god. They are actually making a facsimile of Yahweh. Because Aaron says, tomorrow, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt, tomorrow we'll have a festival to Yahweh, not to some false god. Now, they probably got the idea from Egypt because one of the gods in Egypt was the bull. They had a lot of gods. In all of the nine plagues, God was absolutely crushing all of their nine major gods. And, you know, there was a plague on the livestock. One of the gods was the bull. And they probably got the idea from Egypt, which represents the world. Ah, oh, well, you know, we, we want a representation of God because, you know, God's been speaking through Moses. Moses has disappeared. Give us some impression. Give us some facsimile of God. So Aaron makes this golden calf. So, well, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Tomorrow we'll have a festival to him. His name is Yahweh. So there's not a false God being set up here. There is... Uh, a representation of the true God, but it's idolatrous. 
whenever we get impatient, we end up doing stuff like this. Remember Abraham and Sarah? They told they were going to have a baby, a miracle baby. They waited so many years, and in the end, they got tired of waiting, and Sarah had the bright idea to give Abraham her slave girl, Hagar, and Ishmael is born. And although God said he'd bless Ishmael, make him a great nation, he said, no, I'm going to give you a miracle child. And there was a whole lot of waiting there. Whenever we get impatient, we can tend to cut corners and make mistakes. And my belief is this, that a lot of the Western church has been busy in the last 10 years or so building golden calves. We have been building facsimiles of the real thing through our clever programming, through our slick approach to church, through bells, whistles, smokes, and lights. And I've got nothing against smoke and lighting, by the way. I think it's great. I've been saying to churches, keep your smoke and lights. It's cool. But just go after the God, presence of God. Go after the real thing. And so we have substituted the real thing for a facsimile. And then we wonder why churches in the Western world, we have some of the largest churches in our history because we know how to attract a crowd, but our society continues to go down the gurgler because we are not carrying the presence of God to society because we don't really know too much of it among us as we corporately gather. So how then can we take it into the world that Jesus calls us to? And I think God's fed up with golden calves. Wherever we go, we're finding there are Christians who are sick and tired of churchianity, sick and tired of programmed church. They're saying, we want God, we want his presence, and they're not asking it selfishly just to have a, a Holy Spirit party. They're recognizing society is in deep trouble, and unless somehow we get a hold of God's reality and his presence and his power and the preciousness of his presence, which is the great this commodity, the Lord said to Greta, then society's never going to be transformed. And so God's up on the mountain with Moses, says, Moses, the people you brought out of Egypt have built a golden calf, go down, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses said, Lord, if you do that, your name will be reproached. Because your enemies know you brought them out of Egypt. Then they'll say, well, you weren't able to look after them. He said, all right, I won't, I won't destroy them. And a plague had begun, and then it stopped. 3,000 died, but then it stopped because of Moses' intercession. So Moses goes back down the mountain, and, you know, the plague is stopped. And then in Exodus 33, verse 1, God says this to Moses. Now that you... Isn't it interesting how when God's angry with his people, he disowns them? You know, Moses, you, these people you brought out of Egypt. Hey, wait a minute, Lord, you actually brought them out. <laughs> I was just an innocent bystander. But I, I, this is amusing to me. I love the Hebraic sense of humor here. Uh, so now that you've brought these people out of Egypt, Moses, lead them to the land. I, swallow, I solemnly promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them long ago that I would give this land to the descendants. And I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
Theirs is a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not travel along with you. For you're a stubborn, unruly people. If I did, I'd be tempted to destroy you along the way. So God says, listen, I will bless you. In fact, I'll send my angel. One of my mighty angels will accompany you in this journey. I'll still let you into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. There's a lot of blessing in that. And a lot of churches and believers settle for blessing. Wow, we're blessed. Wow, I can see the promised land. Wow, there's angels among us. And I praise God for the whole opening up of the angelic realm in these days. And we love it when angels turn up and we're learning how to cooperate with them. But that's still not the same as the presence of God. Look at Moses' response down in verse 12 to what God just just said. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You call me by name and you tell me I've found favor with you. Please, if this is really so, show me your intentions so I will understand you more fully and do exactly what you want me to do. Besides, don't forget that this nation is your very own people. This, Moses is playing ping pong with God. This is a ping pong match going on. God says, Moses, they're your people. God, Moses says, no, God, they're your people. You know, ping pong, ping pong. And, uh, and so Moses, he's a clever intercessor. He's reminding God, actually, these are your people. And really, Lord, an angel's not good enough and blessing's not good enough. You know, I want to know something more than that. And so in verse 14, the Lord says, I'll personally go with you, Moses. I'll give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. And Moses gets this incredible promise. Okay, I will accompany you. My presence will be around your life, Moses. I'll manifest my presence. I'll never leave you. And you know what? If a lot of us got a promise and a a prophecy like that, we'd be pretty thrilled. But not Moses. Not Moses. Look what he says. Verse 15. Moses said, if you don't go with us personally, don't let us move a step from this place. If you don't go with us, how will anyone ever know that your people and I have found favor with you? How else will they know that we are special and distinct from all the other people on the earth? Wow. Moses said, Lord, thank you that you promised to go with me, but that's not good enough. If you don't go with us, we're finished. Because it's about us together. Not about a few leaders being blessed. It's about the people of God corporately journeying into something called this promised land. And it's a spiritual thing today. It's the invasion of the kingdom on earth. It's where the blessing of God comes. It's where salvation comes. It's where so much of heaven comes to earth. That's our promised land. It's not a physical territory. It's seeing heaven invade a nation. It's seeing heaven invade a city, a government, a people group. We're going for a run this morning, six o'clock. We're running and along Oriental Parade, and there were parts of it where we were running into the wind, and I felt like I wasn't actually moving. I was 
But anyway, that aside, we're running down past Courtney Place, seeing all the young people spilling out of the clubs at 6 a.m. in the morning. See, God's concerned about that. And Moses is saying, if you don't go with us, what else will distinguish us from any other group of people on the face of the earth? And a lot of the Western church, we've forgotten that. Because we've tried to build bridges with the world, which is great. But there's one thing and one thing alone that makes the church of Jesus Christ distinctive. Because there's a lot of philanthropic and charitable groups in the world who do a lot of good. And praise God they do. Clubs and organizations that do good and billionaires that set up charitable trusts. And I say, God bless them and good on them if they're alleviating suffering. They're not our enemies. They are, they are partnering. But, you know, there's only one organization on the planet that has the distinctive called the presence of God. And Moses recognized nothing else will make us distinctive out of all the people on the earth, only your presence. And when the church ends up building golden calves that are facsimiles, counterfeits of the real, true presence of the living God, and we party around the golden calf, no matter how gleaming it might look, and we so therefore sacrifice the sense of God's presence, we become reduced to being like any other group that parties around any other idol in the planet. Now, I'm being very direct this morning. You guys can handle it at Rock Church, can't you? And add a bit of directness. You know, prophetic ministry is quite interesting. Sometimes it's really loving and encouraging. Other times it's very direct. You know, Jesus was pretty direct with his disciples, wasn't he? Oh, ye of little faith, he says to them a couple of times. You know, in our politically correct world, we'd be saying like, now it's okay, boys. I know your faith level's a bit down, but we're going to run a school of the supernatural. And, you know, your faith level will rise. And, and you know, the, my father will minister to you. And by in about six months, your faith level will have grown and all will be sweet. Jesus didn't say that. He said, oh, ye of little faith. Can I, when will you learn to trust in me? There's a bit of directness going on because I really believe this is a serious issue in the Western church. The church is exploding globally in nations that have the presence and power of God full stop. And who pray like crazy. And who are pursuing God's presence. Africa, 50% south of the Sahara is born again believers. There's some nations in Africa that are almost totally Christian. South America's on fire for Jesus. China, 30,000 people being born again every day. In the last 10 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in all the, the, the 1,300 years of Muslim history put together. It's exploding, this gospel. But the West is lagging. Australia, New Zealand, United States, UK, Europe. Why? Because we've built golden calves, that's why. 
Call it seeker-sensitive, call it program Christianity, call it what you like. It might have started with noble motives, but I tell you what, there's nothing but the presence of God that makes us distinctive. Nothing but the presence of God and His love and His presence and His power that will cause people to turn their head and turn their attentions. You didn't just go with the program, you went with the presence of God to those skaters. That's what they're sensing. Look at God's reply, verse 17. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for you have found favor with me, and you are my friend. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so I think it puts it beautifully. I will indeed do what you've asked, because you've found favor with me, and you're my friend. This gives me hope. It, I, everywhere we go, we minister mainly in Western churches. Everywhere we go, we're sensing a rising tide of fresh hunger for God's presence. People crying out, we want more than just programs. We, we want uh, nothing against programs. We need programs. We need organizational thing, but they must never be a substitute for the presence of God. And God is, your people are saying, we want you, Lord. We want your presence. We want your power. Look at some of the songs that are, uh, God is anointing them uh, on them right now, songs like Israel Horton's song, Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, your presence is heaven to me. Um, Cornerstone from Hillsong, he's the cornerstone. Everything's built around him. Song, I'd love us to sing at the end of this message. We've been singing over the weekend, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. It's your presence that we really want. And, but the thing here is, God says, Moses, you've found favor for me. I will go with the entire nation. My presence will go with you because you've found favor because you're my friend. How did Moses become that? How did he... See, friends have favor. Is that right? You know, you'll do anything for your friends. They, they have favor with you because they're your friends. And you'll go the extra mile for a friend. And we have to become friends of God. How did that happen? Let's look back. The chapter tells us, verse 7. It was Moses' custom to set up the tent known as the tent of meeting far outside the camp. And everyone who wanted to consult with the Lord would go there. Now, for the Bible scholars, this is not the tabernacle of Moses that had its compartments, inner court, outer court, had an altar where they sacrificed. That was set up later in the middle of the camp, and the camp camped all the way around it. This had not yet been constructed because God had not yet given the detail for it. This was simply a tent pitched outside the camp and anyone that wanted to go and meet with God could go out and spend time there. And it says here in verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in their tent entrances. That all watched Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Then all the people would stand and bow low at their tent entrances. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, stayed behind in the tent of meeting. How did, um, how did Moses become the friend of God? He just met with him. 
And I think all through the earth, the Holy Spirit is creating tents of meeting for the people of God. This is a place of intimacy, a place of sitting at the feet of Jesus, a place of taking time to be in his presence, reading his word, praying, talking to him, soaking by listening to worship music. We call it contemplative prayer, getting still, getting quiet, being still, having that place where you go to, you know, and, it, you know, it can't, look, I praise God for 24-7 prayer and access to God. Amen. You can talk to God anywhere. You can talk to him while you're doing gardening, the dishes, while you're at work, while you're in the driver's seat of your car. You can be praying. You can be loving him. You can be worshiping. And I think that's all fantastic. But it's still, we still need a place where we go and we sit or we lie or we, maybe you walk on a beach. You're still, your might, body might be moving, but you're stilling your spirit. You're, you're, might be a path through the park, but you're, you're with God. You're on your own with God. You're, you're taking time to be with Him. It's your tent of meeting where you and God meet, and you cannot afford to not have one because the Lord is calling His church to intimacy and to relationship, and He's not coming for prostitutes, and He's not coming for adulterers who claim to know Him but who don't really know Him. He's coming back for lovers. Hallelujah. He's coming back for those who've known how to be intimate with him long before he comes to marry his bride. That's the sort of people Jesus is coming back for. There's a worldwide call going out to God's people everywhere in every nation. Come be my friends. Do not be strangers anymore. Come be my friends. I think there's too many believers for whom the Lord is a stranger. And I think that's tragic. And God in His mercy and love is compelling us by His Holy Spirit to come close and be His friend. I love what Joshua, the young man that would take over from Moses did. He says, you know, after everybody left, he stayed. I think God's raising up a Joshua generation. And I don't think that just defines young people. I think it's any age group that just is hungry for the presence of God because whether you're 15 or you're 85, you can be youthful because I've found the presence of God keeps you young. The presence of God keeps you youthful. I've got, we've got friends. He's, he's about 87 and she's about 84. They've been married forever and they go ministering all over the world. They go into Germany and Switzerland for two or three months. They come out, they've done sort of like, oh, we did 80 or 90 meetings in those two months and they're in their 80s. They are fresh. They young because they love the presence of God. I've heard it preached this Joshua generation is just the youth and God is certainly raising up a youth army because over one half of the world's population is under 25 today. So you better believe God's very concerned for three and a half billion people under 25 and will raise an army of young people to reach their own kind. But I believe God is calling every age group. And you can stay youthful because those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That's what the Bible says in Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. You can stay youthful. You can stay fresh in God. You know, so often, if we don't respond to this, we're just going to get tired. We're going to get weary. And I've discovered religion burns you out, burns you off, wears you out. I'm just sick of religion because it's tiresome. God did not call us 
to obligatory routine in our relationship with the Lord. Now, there's a thing called discipline. Yes, I don't feel like reading my Bible sometimes. I don't feel like going into my tent of meeting and encountering God because I might want to do other things. And I have to overcome that reluctance because Jesus said you've got a willing spirit but weak flesh. And discipline overcomes the weak flesh. And when I get into but however, when I get into that place, it's not very long before the presence of God just starts drawing near. And I go, wow, I love him. I just... Want more of him. I'm hungry for him. And as I was saying in the school of the supernatural, the amazing thing about hungering spiritually is in the natural, if you're hungry, the more you eat, the fuller you get. And you just don't want food. But in the spiritual, the more you eat, the hungrier you get, the more you want of God. And this is the reason Moses could ask such a big thing is because God says, you've found favor with me and you're my friend. Now, theologically, we are all friends of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and through faith in him. And, and, you know, God has given us total, complete acceptance. You can't do anything more to, to please him. And I was flying on a plane from uh, Melbourne to Brisbane. We, we were going there uh, uh, just a few weeks ago. And in the, in the middle of the flight, I'm just saying, Lord, I just love you so much. And I, I want to live a life worthy of you. And I just want to so... Uh, honor you with my life. And then I suddenly realized what I was saying. And the, and, the, and the Lord just said to me, you'll never be able to pay for it. You'll never be able to pay the debt for your sin. So don't even try. But Lord, I want to live a life worthy of you. I just, I'm so thankful for the cross and everything you've done. And, and I just want to live such a, a life devoted. You said, you'll never be able to do it. The debt of sin is too great. Nothing you can do can pay that debt. Accept it. My blood has paid the price. Just love me. And let me love you. That's how Jesus. He's just, he's just so hungry for every one of us to be his friend. It's not like, that guy over there is special because he's got a hotline to God. So no, we're all washed in the blood of Jesus if we've had faith in him. And he said, I no longer call you my servants, but I call you my friends. That's our theological position. And, and I've got people that I name as friends, but I've discovered to maintain friendship, I have to see them. I have to keep seeing them. Because if you don't, Friendship starts to wane. You might say, well, they're my friend. If you haven't seen them for a year, that friendship is waning and you've got to reintroduce yourself, etc., etc. I believe God is asking his church to pursue his presence and to establish tents of meeting in our lives individually and corporately because he doesn't want to come back for a bunch of strangers. And there is a world he desperately wants to reach and the only thing we have to offer it is the presence and the power of God. And as we pursue his presence corporately and individually, and we know an increasing dimension of that presence, we can then carry that into the lost world that God takes us, into the workplace, into, our, uh, into education, into politics, into school, into wherever life takes you you carry the presence of God and if you will have an increasing friendship with the Lord there'll be an increasing dimension of the presence of God upon your life and I'm going to wind this up but God God grants that to Moses and you know 
I love Moses. He, he doesn't even stop there. The, I mean, if I got that, I'd say, wow, thanks, Lord. He doesn't even stop there. He just barrels in for more. Look at verse, look at verse 18. It says, then Moses had one more request. Please let me see your glory. I love this guy. He is so hungry. I want more of God. I want all that's going. Show me your glory. You say, what's glory? Glory, like presence is one thing. Glory is the weight of his presence. The weight, the manifested power of his presence and glory. But it's interesting what God defines his glory to be. Look at this. He says, all right, Moses, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and I'll call out my name, Yahweh, and I'll show kindness to anyone I choose and I'll show mercy to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly on my face for no one may see me and die. And, and Moses had looked on face, on face to face with a, fax, uh, with a form of the Lord in the tent of meeting, but this is the real deal. And... Uh, and I think Jesus has changed that. One day, Paul says, we will see him face to face. Praise God. But isn't it interesting how God defines his glory to be his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion? And that's the kind of glory we need to be on the church, to be taken to the world, that they will know that God is good and kind and compassionate. And you say, is this accessible? I'm just little old me and, you know, I've got a busy job and, and you know, you, you're, you're, you're kind of a preacher and is this accessible for me? Yeah, because I wouldn't preach this if it wasn't. So don't let the enemy excuse you. This is God calling his people all over the world. And come on, I want you to be my friends. I want you to enjoy my presence. But I want you to hunger for it, thirst for it, pursue it, and pay any price you have to for it. We're going to stand right now. Come on. Let's stand. We're going to sing this song as a prayer to God. I pray that in this prayer, this song, that you will express something to the Holy Spirit. We're going to worship the Lord a little. We're going to enjoy His presence. And then Greta and I are just going to come back and and minister in the Holy Spirit for a little before we hand back to Greg. Um, but I just want you these next few minutes to be so in, in tune in your heart with God. And uh, Father, just come now by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we cannot legislate this. This is a thing of love. We can't say we must because that's a thing of law. But grace says I want to. And I really want to say that to your church before we sing this. The law says you must. Grace says he wants you to. The law says to me I've got to do this. But grace says I want to. May his grace be poured out on our lives. Amen. May his grace be poured out on our lives. Thanks, team, if you lead us now.